0: A great talent to play you know, in eggs. Uh, hello. <laughs> um, we are a technical problem. On? We... Yeah. <laughs> we're on I swear? <laughs> Shit! Oh yeah. Well, you wait ages for a capital presenter to appear on Crunch and Roll, and three come along at once. Unlike Cam and Chris, who've been on in the last couple of weeks, it wasn't necessarily where Neil Bentley hankered to work though. Our chat with Neil is funny, honest, and in some places, well, jaw-dropping. We won't give away too much, but you're going to hear the ultimate bittersweet job offer. There's also the time one of the biggest DJs in the world carries records into a nightclub in Barnsley for him, a brutal rejection letter that might not have been all it seemed, and the real story about his exit from Capitol. Plus, more parky positivity, and in the interests of balance, a nice story about Madonna too. As usual, there's some strong language and adult content in this episode. Let's crunch and roll. Oh, yeah. Neil, how are you?
1: I'm really good though massively nervous because I feel like I've come in on this therapy session which I haven't paid for um, and I haven't talked about <laughs> I haven't talked about radio and my career uh, well ever but haven't talked about radio since 2012 so um so Foxy this is this is good do well, I need to sit and you can I can I sit on this comfy sofa in front of you is if, that okay if yeah? you would
0: and close your eyes and thank you just, just hold your hands out
1: you you can't say that nowadays <laughs>
0: <laughs> we could you have done when do we that. first started, but not now. You're right. You're right. All right. Um so look, firstly, thank you so much for for being on Crunch and Roll. Um I was over the moon when you said yes, so thank you. Um I always ask the question, where are you from? I don't know where are you London boy?
1: No, I'm not. I'm from Portsmouth originally. Right. Um so yeah, before we do that, let me I wanna I wanna check with you on your research. Which stations do you think I've been on? Okay, How- so let's do a quiz. Go. Power. 1 yep horizon correct chilton yes
0: northants 96
1: yes oh shit you you done better than i thought b97 yes hold on a minute yeah tfm yes
0: galaxy 105 yes network
1: capital yes yes heart Yes. And then a bit on the Big City Network. Okay, have you just read one of my LinkedIn posts or something? That's what you've done. That's what you've done. Um, I mean, that's it. Neil Bentley, thank you very much for being on Crunch and Roll. Well, I I, literally, because, because obviously you're up in Hull, I thought you might only know me from being up there with my time at Galaxy, which I can't wait to talk about because um, if anything stands out in my career, that that is, that is it for me. Um, but brilliant. I mean, I'm from Portsmouth originally, and I, unlike a lot of people that you've had on Crunch and Roll before, where they talk about uh, having this real love for radio personalities, it wasn't that for me. I loved radio, sure, I had um, in my bedroom uh, a setup with a little FM transmitter that I pushed out to my neighbours and did some stuff. But it wasn't about personality, and it wasn't about personalities. It was about music for me. I I came from a point in my life where I was doing things like BMXing and breakdancing and all that sort of stuff that young kids did back then in the kind of mid-80s. And um, I was just completely entrenched in uh rap hip-hop i you know uh, tribe called quest Dela soul just run dmc anything like that i just absolutely loved and from that i'm watching uh amazing djs like jazzy jeff perform live i wanted to be a dj and then it kind of fused a little bit into the radio and that kind of that's where it kind of led me. So, yeah, back in, back in Portsmouth in my bedroom, that's what I was doing. And the, the station that I was trying to get in Portsmouth to listen to that was outside of the region wasn't Capital, which everybody else was, was, was kind of mentioning. Wasn't, you know wasn't Radio 1 that I listened to. It was KISS. And KISS was the station that I wanted to to hear. Um, I wanted to hear dance music. I wanted to hear stuff that I couldn't hear anywhere else. But back in Portsmouth, the stations that kind of did it for me, very, very young before that time, when I kind of woke up and and listened to breakfast radio with my mum and dad as my dad was getting ready to go out on the building site, was Radio Victory, which was a, a massive, iconic radio station on the south coast. And then it was Power FM. And Power FM just, it really caught me. It was the competitor of Radio 1 back in kind of 1988, 89, 90. And it was just a station that leapt from the dial for me. Um, I mean, I've got a cassette tape that I'm now showing to the video uh, camera in front of me, um, which is a Power FM More Music 103.2 cassette tape, which has my first ever show on it from July 14th. 1991. So I ended up at Ocean Sound and Power FM because of school really. Um I went there on an internship because I couldn't get into the news. I wanted to go to the newspaper called The News in Portsmouth because Jason Donovan on Neighbors was a journalist and I thought that was the coolest thing in the world. So I wanted to be at the news I couldn't get in there so they the next best thing I put on my list was Ocean FM and Ocean Sound so I got over there and I I, as soon as I was in there as an intern at 15 years old I absolutely fell in love with radio big time and with personalities and that is where that's my station everybody has their station whether it's a capital whether it's a Hallam whether it's you know from wherever you are around the country that station for me, Power FM, at that particular time was just incredible. And there's some presenters that don't get talked about at all that need to be brought up in this podcast. Pete Wardman. Pete Wardman, who I think works for the BBC nowadays, I think it might be in Leicester, and I think he's on the journalistic, he's on the news side of it. The most incredible breakfast show presenter. Chris Kelly, who was the afternoon show presenter, who was, I mean the looks of a tv presenter like just so cool so yeah effortlessly cool effortlessly cool he did some work on Kiss in manchester later on but he was incredible adrian lovett who went on to be the ceo of oxfam scott mills who was with me when i started my career at power fm and ocean sound jeremy clark um and a very young howard ritchie who is the voice of capital who was there his first show was an overnight show and he came in to uh take over from me when i did evenings so it was just it was just this unbelievable place of incredible talent and it it was it was the artwork it was the sound of the station it was the music they were playing it was the the events they were putting on it was just brilliant and um After being an intern there and helping out with people's shows and making baking sandwiches for people and doing the sports show for Ocean Sound at the weekend where I cut all of the goals for Southampton and Portsmouth and put them together as a montage, I then uh, got the break in 1991 to do my first overnight show. I think it's worth just highlighting that you were 16 years old though, Neil. Yeah, I was. Yeah, I Well, I was 15 when I was there as an intern, and I was 16 years old when I did my first show on Power. I mean, that, and, I mean,
0: like, just two things. I mean, we, you, we're talking about Power FM, and I know I've mainly worked up north. Um, started at Viking, as you well know, um, but, but we all knew about Power. I mean, I, I knew very little about a lot of the southern stations, but Power had this hell of a reputation, you know, and it was somewhere that I always wanted to go to, and it seems that you know you had the capitals the kisses in london
1: but down south power had this oh it was was incredible yeah it was it was totally incredible like there were the the production well there's some other people i need to mention who were at power as well and intrinsic in the success of power fm john early who's the managing director of rcs now who once crashed in the back of my car but let's not talk about that and john just an absolute genius also another guy called Andrew White. I don't know if you know Andrew White, but but Andrew White is just the most incredible producer who was later working with Capital, but he was there at the very early days of Power FM and, and Ocean Sound, and he was a person that crafted that sound as well and was a producer there. It was a very, very, very special place. And as you can see me holding this um, this logo up at Power FM as well, it was very iconic in its visual branding as well as its sonic branding. It did a lot of uh, Roy Lichtenstein pop art stuff. It was like nothing else Uh, that I'd ever seen or heard. And so I'm not surprised that it did make that kind of jump up north and people heard about it because, and I'm not talking about me on there, those people that I mentioned, Pete Woolman, Chris Kelly, Adrian Lovett, Bernie Simmons, uh, those people were just incredible. Andy Sheldon, who's now the head of, or was the head of the Home Shopping Network in the States. You know, you look where these people have gone on to. Scott Mills, I mean, you know, in, in my career, there's a, there's only a couple of people that I've worked with that have really gone to those dizzy heights. Scott um, is second in that list. There is one person higher, but my God, you know, Scott, an absolute genius, lovely guy. Haven't seen him for years, but we were very good mates for many, many years. So it was, yeah, it was an iconic radio station that gave me the foundation to, and the springboard to go on to the things that I achieved
0: but you, you were 16 years old and am I right yeah. in thinking you're doing overnights and the late show I mean most 16 year olds are in bed by 8 o'clock Neil
1: yeah um, so yeah it was difficult it, a lot of support from my family that allowed me to do that because I didn't drive and I you know yeah. Power Power FM was in Sedgingsworth West, well, it still is, and I was living in Portsmouth. So that was like a 25 minute drive away. So I had family members take me uh, to the radio station um, and pick me up in the morning. Now, I know, it's it's incredible. And then I, I left school, I started college and I was at Highbury College. And Highbury College in Portsmouth was this place where if you wanted to learn media and broadcasting, you would go to Highbury College. I was kind of a bit of an anomaly, because I was on that radio station that all these people wanted to go to, and I was doing my, whatever I was, A-levels and, you know, sitting guilds and all that sort of stuff. So I was finishing at 6am, going home, having breakfast, then going to college for the day. Yeah, it was a bit, it was a bit crazy, you know, people say, oh my god, you know, that wouldn't happen nowadays, but it was just... It was just a brilliant thing to do. Of course, my college work suffered massively <laughs> because I was like, well, I'm already there. So I just forget about doing the actual work uh, at college and doing the proper work uh, on the radio. It was, yeah, it was kind of sixteen, seventeen while I was there, 16, 17, 18, that I left Portsmouth. And there was a reason, and it was a very iconic night that I, I decided that it wasn't going to, be Power FM for the rest of my days. Um, I was there on the night that Capital Radio came down and took over the station, and they did it overnight. So they came down, Richard Park came down, who I'll talk about later, never knew who he was, and you know, I'm a a 17-year-old, 18-year-old kid, not really understanding what Capital is, but just knowing that this group is coming down to swallow up Power FM and Ocean Sound, And do you know what? I must thank myself for doing this. I knew at the time that a not very good, very young radio presenter that had the chance to be on power at that age was not going to stay there. They were definitely going to bring some people in. So Neil, you need to get some demo tapes out anywhere, everywhere, and try and get out of this place and keep your momentum going within radio. But I was there that fateful night that that kind of happened. So where next so I sent some tapes out it was because it was a weird one because like you said that people knew about Power FM so when I was sending tapes out because I kind of heard whispers things were happening I was sending tapes out to places that were going well why would you want to leave Power FM for and I was getting these letters back from these PDs on stations. You know, I, I didn't really uh, know how big certain radio stations were, because I was very much geolocated in my area. Um, but I was sending it out to Red Dragon and Galaxy over in Bristol. Um, again, if I wasn't driving there, my mum and dad would drive me up there. It wasn't until I sent a tape to the Chilton network. But it wasn't it wasn't the chilton network it wasn't that tape I, i think that did it it was a guy called clive dickens who probably has been mentioned on your podcast before who weirdly i've never met in my entire life but he was the person that was responsible for going there's this wet behind the ears presenter overnight on power who i think would be good in milton Keynes. Steve Power, why don't you bring Neil up now? Steve Power's been mentioned before <laughs> by lots of people on Crunch and Roll, and um, and Steve did that. And uh, so I was leaving home at 18. I drove to Milton Keynes, 127 miles away from my house, and um, set up in a flat and went to work at Horizon Radio. And I was absolutely blessed to have an incredible. Selection of presenters and personalities and people around me at that time to have one of the best times of my life and um, somebody I don't know if they have been uh, mentioned on Crunch and Roll but you have to get them on so when you ask me at the end I'm sorry I'm going to give this away now I knew it this is the person that you need to get on is Trevor Marshall now Trevor Marshall is one of the nicest people ever he took me under his wing he was doing Breakfast at Horizon with um, a, a wonderful person called Helen Lee, who sadly passed away a few years ago, who, you know, I've got pictures of us all together. We were the gang in Milton Keynes. It was just incredible. Trevor was just brilliant. You know, I've slept on his sofa many a night, getting completely and utterly pissed. And it was just a rite of passage going up to, to Milton Keynes and going out with Trevor and just having a wonderful time. Emma Scott became a really good friend. David Tai... Um, David Francis, who's been uh, around uh, many different places, um, and and Paul Chantler as well. And I must say, uh, that, that I just remembered it now, actually. After my first show on Horizon, went up to Paul Chantler's office, knocked on the door and went, hi, was was that okay? And all he said was, I thought I hired someone that was a little bit faster than you.
0: <laughs> what does and he, I was like... What does he mean by that?
1: Uh, I was like, fuck. Um... <laughs> Um, I think he probably, I don't know. I have no idea. Um, you know, Paul Chandler's a very good friend um, and I'm sure he didn't mean anything by it and it might have been a very bad day. But I was like, oh my God, that's just happened. Um, but obviously I was there at Horizon at, at just a wonderful time for for that network as well. There was just some incredible presenters on there. Uh, the network itself, which I hadn't really heard of being down south, that Chilton network. Yeah. It was like this. this really interesting network of radio stations that i it just didn't exist anywhere else and then later on uh i did some shows on chiltern i did breakfast on north Ants radio which chris brooks mentioned in uh, your other crunch and roll podcast where to be honest, I think I was a little bit too young. I think I was like 20 or 21 doing a breakfast show, which I, I, I was never a breakfast show presenter anyway. And we'll come on to that in a minute. And B97, I did breakfast with a guy called Tim Page, um, who's still a, a wonderful friend of mine and a, a great news presenter and journalist and works for the BBC.
0: It's interesting. I was because i I'd spotted that you'd done breakfast a couple of places and you didn't enjoy mm. doing breakfast.
1: No uh, um, I was really nervous. Uh, I really found breakfast incredibly difficult to do, as someone later in my career said, "Neil, can you try and not be funny uh b- <laughs> because b- b- because you're not funny, so don't try it." And um I think that doing a breakfast show you're you're kind of forced into trying to do comedic things of w- which you're not uh meant to do. Uh, and I just wasn't built for a, for a breakfast show, I, I thought. And um, yeah, I did breakfast on North Ants, I did breakfast on B97. But I found just the pressure of delivering content on a breakfast show. Um, and we'll talk about that, like I said, in a second when we get onto the London stations. It really does ramp up when you're in, in bigger markets. And, um, you know, if you go back to what I originally said at the start, I wasn't I didn't start radio in my bedroom because of personalities I started it because of music and so I I was always a music presenter really through and through so that that kind of added pressure to add two and a half minute links or three minute links and yeah you got to be funny here you got to have a punchline here you know and don't forget I was really young I hadn't really apart from going out getting drunk most nights and you know I don't know, going to the cinema or whatever. I really wasn't doing many life things to be talking about on a breakfast show. Um, so yeah, I found it. I found it incredibly, yeah, you know, anxious-ridden. Like, are you? Loads of an- anxiety. Just not a place really for me. County,
0: uh, county. Okay. Uh, uh, we apologise. just play records on eight, nine. When do I'm not drunk. I've had a couple of drinks.
1: I'm not drunk. <laughs> oh yeah the gwr takeover at chilton was um just a strange time really because um colin mason who had been the person behind the chilton network who had put up signs everywhere which was this is showbiz be an entertainer every single studio had that in he was very larger than life it was just a, a very odd time with gwr coming in it was a time where there was lots of research because they loved their research um, and there were lots of different techniques being pushed the bibles the liner cards all that sort of stuff where at the time um it did make people feel very uneasy of of where they were were going to be or what they were going to do. I certainly didn't know where I was going to be. I certainly didn't think I was going to move from Northants Radio Breakfast to B97 Breakfast. I thought I was off. I thought that was the end of of me and in that time. You know, there were radio consultants coming in at that time. That was the first time I'd ever had the op- opportunity of sitting down with a radio consultant to talk about it. Oh yeah, Steve Wright was my boss at one point. I just remembered <laughs> that. Because Steve Wright was uh he'd taken a break from radio Two. Uh, Oh no, Radio 1. He'd come off of Radio 1 before he went to Radio 2. And GWR had him as a consultant boss for breakfast shows around the network. So Steve, yeah, Steve, we went for, I just remembered this, we went for McDonald's uh, breakfast with Steve Wright in Bedford, me and Tim Page, after one breakfast show once. And there's Steve smoking his massive cigar, eating a hash brown. You know, that was a a funny time because obviously Steve Wright is an, an incredibly important creative personality within the radio industry you know him coming to talk to tim page and neil bentley on a b97 breakfast show about what potentially we could do and we really couldn't do that um on that particular show seemed a bit odd but i guess it was good for morale i'll tell you what was also kind of strange about those times is you would have to finish your show and then go out for multiple hours in a in a black thunder do you yeah, know? I was, that? I was at Two Ten
0: FM. The Black. Th- well, I, I'm not going to knock them because I later went on to marry one of the Two Ten FM Black Thunders. You married the car? Married, I married the Rav Four. <laughs> Beautiful beast. No, <laughs> I, I married Leanne. My wife uh, was was one of the Black Thunders. So I'm not going to make too many comments, Neil.
1: Well, but we ha- well, we didn't have a Black Thunder crew. So, not- <laughs> so the, no, no, no. The Black the Black Thunder crew was Tim Page and Neil <laughs> Bentley. So so Tim would drive the Black Thunder around. Bedfordshire we would go and give out some stickers we would uh, mostly visit some people that Tim knew in the area to have uh, a cup of tea so we 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 kind of got out of it a lot but that was part of our contract that we had to do those multiple hours after a breakfast show
0: all right so next we move on to TFM in 1996 y- yeah so um I, I mean what a brave move so you've <laughs> You're from down south. <laughs> yep. uh, you've you've done a few stations down south, and then suddenly, I'm guessing back in '96, it was a phone call um, to say, "Do you want to come all the way up here?"
1: Yeah. So David Tai, who was at the Chilton Network with me, um, he gave me a call and said, "Look, I think there's a position coming up at TFM if you fancy it." Now, I was under that the, the GWR rule of that of that time, and you know what you hear about bibles and liner cards and all all things like that absolutely true do i think it's the wrong way to do it uh, if i had a business i would want everyone singing off some sort of hymn sheet so probably not but at that time it wasn't really where i wanted to be so when david said look i've just gone up to tfm I think there's a a possibility of another slot coming up. Do you want to come up? Should I put your name around? I was like, absolutely, let's do this. And um, up until this point, remember that, you know, hip hop, dance music, as it kind of evolved into, um, because I was playing loads of gigs when I was at Horizon at lots of different nightclubs when I was kind of 18, 19, 20. And that's where I cut my teeth in clubs. I wanted the ability to have dance music in my life on radio and that was not going to happen under a GWR rule at the Chiltern Network so I thought well maybe if I could get to TFM there will be an the, an option for that at some point. So uh, Graham Ledger, who is just brilliant. I don't know if you've ever met Graham Ledger, but he was my boss at TFM. He came down to visit me in a, a hotel. He was his typical thing of, of coming down, um, having Angostura bitters in a little bit of like sparkling water, coming up and, you know, having a little meeting with you in a very plush place, making you feel fantastic. And um, he said, look, if you fancy it, uh, come up to TFM. So... I'd heard of Middlesbrough, um, but I hadn't been there before. Um, so I was like, uh, well, you know what? You get, you get one life. Let's, um, let's continue this journey up north. So I went from Milton Keynes, broke up with a girlfriend there, uh, headed up to uh, Middlesbrough and thought, right, let's, um, let's see how this goes. And TFM, you know, I was there. It, it allowed me to do some incredible stuff. Uh, But it was also a pretty scary time because that really is up north. And I was away from my family. I didn't see them a lot. I I mean, it got so... (laughs) I don't want to put this into you know massive depression but there was like one christmas day i was on my own having boil in the bag beef in in middlesbrough <laughs> and i was like do you know what i'm not too sure this is this is all right but but graham was amazing uh, david was amazing um worked with lots of people there like steve randall um, richard kell who's uh, still producing lots of radio up in the northeast ed james turned up there as well uh, to tfm before he obviously going down to heart and and you know doing wonderful things with the heart network in in birmingham but yeah tfm it i think if we're going to say what one thing did tfm give me it gave me that outlet to do dance music again so i or gave my first break really into a a dance show club tfm was a show that i created on a saturday night which was total free choice imagine that imagine that
0: no i cannot that's like a foreign language i it? know
1: so so graham ledger said to me sat me down and said we well, you love dance music and we think dance music is obviously a really big thing in the northeast so you want this this dance show on a saturday night i was like yes five hours by the way five hour free choice dance show it kicked off about six or seven he said i'm gonna give it to you Let, let's see what you can do and um you know there were iconic uh dance music record shops in middlesbrough and newcastle and leeds and i would i would go traveling all the way around all the way down to leeds and all the way back up um to get anything that i could possibly get i spent an absolute fortune on vinyl and uh, i had like a five-hour dance show that that unlocked the club scene in middlesbrough newcastle sunderland and i was was out nearly every weekend
0: do you know? as the, I mean, when I was a Viking, we had we had the Viking FM weekend where, you know, there'd be dance DJs like yourself coming in and doing their thing. Yeah, They always felt like they were the cool, cool guys in the corner, you know, but uh, did you have uh, like, added pressure going into a place like TFM and saying, right, I'm going to change weekends. We're not just doing the standard format. I want to play dance. You know,
1: did you, did you face any difficulties with that? Um, I don't think I even thought about it. Um, No, I I was so kind of strong headed that I wanted to do that. And I don't, I mean, it's a a really good question. Because if I looked at myself now and said, well, actually, what did I know? You know, what did I know? How did I know what I was going to play was going to get ratings? Or I was just passionate about what I did. And I think I put that argument forward so well that they went, yeah, okay, I believe him. So I just went in and did it. It was just an incredible thing to be able to do. I recorded that show, I've just remembered, on videotape, by the way. So yeah, so I used to record the all the mixes and everything off vinyl onto videotape, and then convert the videotapes to whatever system they had at TFM at the time, uh, to play it off. Because um, some of the show was actually recorded with links over the top, and some of it was live. Because I wanted to play lots of clubs, in that region I wanted that to be the vehicle for me um so at some point I had to leave that studio to get out there to get on the road um and and that was it was just in, it was oh I just loved it absolutely loved it just loved it
0: you probably put more effort into that and we're just going back to your anxiety doing breakfast you know the, the content thing but you put twice as much work into those dance shows than any breakfast shows done across the oh, country oh yeah ever.
1: yeah but I didn't have to speak you know, okay, okay, fair yeah, but I, I mean, it wasn't about me. It was just about putting the right music together and, and mixing the right music together. I could do that. That wasn't, a, that wasn't a challenge. Um, that was just really exciting. I was passionate about it. I didn't have to be funny. I could just, I mean, you know, there is only one God within dance music radio forever. And that's Pete Tong. And I listened to the essential selection, uh, essentially every single week. Um, it was just incredible, but, yeah, I, d- I did put a lot of effort, time, and effort into that show, and I put t- a lot of time and effort into trying to build that Club TFM brand. At that time, I created uh, the Club TFM tour, which around, went around the Northeast. Um, we had lots of uh, artists to co- come down. I mean, Matt Goss, weirdly, at one time of his, his life, was a dance music vocalist in a band called cobra which was an italian dance music outfit and he came to uh the empire in middlesbrough and did a live pa so we had a load of these people that we brought around the northeast and it was just yeah that that's one of my favorite times uh creating that show and that led me on to the the other bigger dance things that i did in my life
0: what's your favorite dance tune of all time Neil? Oh, i'm Jesus. desperate to ask you <laughs>
1: um very difficult i don't know you know master at work to be in love possibly yeah that that changes on a literally an hour by hour basis um very very difficult i just i
0: I felt that i only have an hour of your life and i had to ask that question yeah yeah i i would also like to tell you mine and see what your reaction is please don't tall paul tall paul yeah good
1: nice okay good nice i've got the neil bentley well yeah yeah nice So when I was at TFM, um, I got the option to go down to GWR Bristol Breakfast. So uh, Dirk Anthony and Vaughan Hobbs at the time uh, phoned me up and said, look, we, we see what you're doing up, up there at TFM. We want you to come down and do this. Now, James Cannon was moving from GWR to Capital in London. So this was a big opportunity for me. James Cannon was a complete god when it came to GWR Breakfast in the Bristol area. Um, So this was the opportunity of taking over a very large uh, breakfast show that was outside of London, but very large. So I got on this train from Middlesbrough to Bristol, probably changed somewhere, I don't even know. It was such a long train journey that I had to drink as much red wine as I possibly could. When I got off the train to meet Dirk Anthony and Vaughan Hobbs, at the end i must have had red teeth and red lips um but i held it together anyway i i was asked to go down there to do a breakfast show but they also asked me with my dance stuff because i was very much i was saying look to be honest this all sounds great i'm not really a breakfast show presenter but the dance stuff is really key for me up in up at TFM. I'm i you know I've got Club TFM, it's a brand that I'm that I'm starting, that's really important to me. And they were like, well, what about a a dance show on GWR network? And I was like, sorry, what? So you would like you would like a house show, you would like a dance show. We could make that happen. And I was like, okay. Now when you when you talk to anybody about GWR, you know, the first thing that doesn't come to mind is dance um so when we're we talking probably 1997 this was just before i i went to galaxy so late 97 just coming into 98 maybe so i was there with the opportunity to have a networked dance show across the gwr network that was no rap less chat but loads of dance music from neil bentley but i i turned that down and to, to stay in the northeast all
0: right so um in 98 <laughs> you, you you leave tfm yeah. um did did galaxy this is the big one yep uh galaxy 105 did
1: they approach you did
0: they poach you no
1: no so at tfm i asked i actually asked graham ledger could i apply for radio one and graham said yeah go for it mate now that is how you manage a team you've got passions you go for it see if you can you can get a job at radio one so, I was at TFM. I sent a demo tape to Radio 1. Now, I haven't read Moyles' book. Oh, by the way, I haven't actually mentioned the fact that me and Moyles were best mates for quite a, a long time during the Chilton times. So, I was there with Moyles. Um, I sent a tape to Radio 1 with a letter. I haven't read his book, but someone says this is in his book. There was somebody that then sent a load of tapes back to people saying, you haven't got a job because you're shit. I think, I think he had something to do with it. Um, But yeah, can you imagine? I think I've got the letter somewhere. I get this, I get this letter back from Radio 1, which basically says, no, you're rubbish, mate. You know, well, the actual word was shit. Um, And I'm looking at it going, oh my God, this is terrible. To be honest that wasn't the worst rejection letter that I had because I mean, no what could be worse no than when
0: you it was so,
1: shit well, well yeah well because I, I you know I I didn't really ever think I was going to get to Radio 1 anyway um, the worst rejection letter was the one that I wanted to be at because the one thing I wanted to achieve in my life I never actually did within radio which was Kiss. to be at Kiss and, you know, when I was at TFM, uh, Lorna, who was the head of Kiss in London, w- was coming around What it was under EMAP, and she was coming up to TFM. Mate, I took my Technics decks into TFM that day. I put them behind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And when I knew Lorna was coming around to tour the station, I I faked recording a show just so I could show that I was mixing in there so she would potentially know who I was. Hi, and, nice. um, and, you know... Andy Roberts never, you know, never picked up on me. Um, and when I came to to London, you know, being at Capital and obviously being at Heart, there was no potential transition for me to actually move through to Kiss. Um, you know, one of my friends did actually make the other move. Um, Simon Dale made the move from Kiss through to Capital, so he actually did what i wanted to achieve but yeah that that rejection letter or many rejection letters from kiss which was basically piss off neil you're never coming to kiss um they were the ones that really hurt because kiss was just you know the place that i wanted to be so i was looking around to see where i could go while i was at tfm um and graham was also on his way to go somewhere else and david was moving somewhere else as well so it became a a place where I you know I felt like it was about the right time to move on so I'd heard of this station called Kiss that was in Yorkshire and I knew that they had rebranded to Galaxy and I tuned in and listened and just thought oh my god this is this is incredible um this is everything that I want in a radio station wrapped up with an incredible brand i need to be a part of this somehow and you know it was for for me like chris brooks's capital as soon as i heard this this was the destination i needed to be at so i sent them a tape and um and hoped that i would potentially get a meeting so we could talk about it further i went down i spoke to andy mcpherson uh, who was uh, there at the time, Steve Parkinson. Um, and uh, they asked me some questions about, you know, who who I liked in the radio industry. Um, and they they found out all about me. And I, I went away and I thought, you know, I really need to get that job. Like that is just, you know, Galaxy 105 and Joseph's Well was just it was like electric walking through those doors. God, I wore some hideous clothes. They probably could have, they could have like chucked me out just for the jacket I was wearing, but, um, they took a chance and, um, that's how I got the job. I applied for it. There was, well, there was no job going. I just said, look, I want to do it. And, um, there was a couple of people that were going to move that were kind of ex kiss people that didn't kind of fit the station. Right. And, um, I ended up coming in and, Wow, uh, completely changed my life, played every club there is going in a, a two and a half hour radius of, of Leeds. met some incredible people, worked with, again, uh, a bunch of super talented people. Um, I worked with uh, Anthony and Jojo, obviously Hurstie, uh, Adil Ray, Alex Pepper, Lucio. Uh, I met my wife there, Saffron. You know, I had some really big life moments at Galaxy. I mean, it was just... Anything you hear about Galaxy uh, of those times was absolutely 100% true. It was an incredible place to be. It had an energy that i've never felt anywhere else and i got lucky to go to 95.8 capital fm and that was nowhere near as good as galaxy 105 it was the most incredible station Um, we could get away with a lot we got lots of opportunities we did oh man we did uh, ibiza Galaxy in Ibiza every year. We did uh, the Miami Winter Music Conference. That was because Amazing. we kind of, we, we sat down and I said, do you know what? We should go to Miami. And they went, yeah, right then. I was like, <laughs> what the hell? And we went, we went to Miami. Uh, we did shows out in Miami. I, you know, you can hear my passion for dance music. I've got, you know, massive producers in, in dance music. They're the ones that I did idol- idolise. David Morales was one of the biggest people I could ever imagine ever knowing, ever working with. I ended up exec producing his show. Um, David Morales joined Galaxy. Um, it was just the most wonderful time. In fact, David Morales carried my record bags to Pharaoh's in Barnsley. <laughs> <laughs> now, that that now, that is the story which, I mean, I can't even make it up. Every time David Morales came over and he did his show from Leeds, or we did a live OB, I would be there and exec producing that, as well as doing the links on the show or whatever. Um, I get this call on the XD one, I don't know Friday night, and it's like, "Hey," and I'm like, um, "Hi." Who's that? Hey, Neil, it's David. I'm like, oh, David, hi, how you doing? I'm like, Jesus Christ, David Morales calling me up on the XD. Hey, Neil, you always, you, this is a terrible uh, impression, by the way, but hey, Neil, you always support me. What are you doing this weekend? I'm like, oh, Jesus, I've got to tell him I'm playing a, an Egyptian-themed club in Barnsley <laughs> to, to, one, to one of the world's biggest DJs. Um, yeah, David, I'm, I'm playing Pharaohs in Barnsley. I'm coming to support you. So I picked him up at uh, his hotel the next day when he flew in. He came down to Barnsley. He took the record bags out of my car. He walked up the street towards Pharaohs. Word had got out that David Morales was in Barnsley. I've never had a queue like it for a Neil Bentley gig. Trust me. There was this queue down down the street, and and I was like, oh my god. He came in. He introduced me on. You know, and we and we became friends for a few years after that as well. And it was they were the sort of opportunities that Galaxy just unlocked for me. Just incredible moments. I mean, I know that you were in obviously the region when, when Galaxy One O Five was there. If you've got any questions, you want to answer me, ask me about Galaxy One O Five, I'll give you the straight answer right now.
0: Well, there's a, there's a couple of things that I'd like to touch on. Yeah. So um, I mean you interviewed some big names. Um, you interviewed Madonna. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, on Galaxy. Yep. Now we we chat to Cam Kelly, who was doing um, the network show across GWR. Yeah. He had the opportunity to to interview Madonna. It didn't go very well. What was she like with you?
1: Yeah, she was amazing. Um, I did hear that interview with Cam, and that sounded awful. Um, what Cam and Sally had to go through there. So I was doing a, a network interview for Galaxy, and it was the American Life album from Madonna. And it was at the Dorchester in London. Again, you know, I hadn't really been down to London or anything. I was at Galaxy. They, you know, sent me down first class all that sort of stuff. So it was just incredible. And I was sat in a, a room full of incredible people. Margarita Taylor was in there again before I was coming down to Capital. I kind of knew of her, but she was sat there. There were other incredible people around. Steve Wright was in the room i was like you know we're going to interview madonna here i don't know how this is going to go we were told no autographs um we were told uh just do your questions and get out and i was stood outside the door and um they opened the door and let me in and as i was going in steve Wright was backing out right and steve was like oh could you sign this and i was like oh okay right and i just went i don't know who he is as he walked out right i thought i thought thought i'd be really cool like um so i walked over she was um she was incredible she was she was charming she was uh there was an aura around madonna like i've never experienced with any celebrity at all and i wasn't really a massive madonna fan to be honest It, it was incredible but i completely fucked it up so one the interview never went out not because i fucked it up because whoever was recording the interviews for the whole day didn't record any of the interviews correctly my god so if you go back to that time because steve Wright was meant to put it on his show as well that didn't go out so all of the records were were just chucked away but i said to her i said um so what do you do like you've got so much money you know what what do you do with with your money I don't know why I'm asking that. I don't know. And she was like, well, you know, I like art and stuff. And I said, oh, cool. Right. Excellent. Um, I, and this was when I was 30. So I went, cool. I just bought a BMX <laughs> for no reason whatsoever. Right. I just was like, and I'm now looking at her and she's, she's like, BM what? And I'm like, um, I just bought a BMX. It's a Harrow Freestyler. Always wanted one. Just got it at 30 all right then thanks ever so much and i start walking out and then i went and, and then i went just before i closed the door and i breakdance too and close the door and i'm like what the f- what the fuck have you just done um but I, you know she was laughing she was she was charming like i said she i didn't have the the same experience as cam and sally did but i suppose you catch somebody on a different day and they're a different person so it, it was an incredible experience
0: and also i want to talk about because you met your now wife saffron yes at Galaxy 105. I mean, how was, how was that? How did, did, was it? You
1: don't want to get into that. (laughs) Um, um, Yeah, well, Saf started at Radio Air um, and then she moved to Galaxy and then she moved to Galaxy 105, 106. And so I was in Leeds and she was up in Newcastle and that's how we kind of started dating. Obviously, we met in Leeds and then she moved away. You know, she's the most supportive person in my life. Um, And uh, yeah, I mean, there were, I don't want to talk about, you know, other things that were happening at the time, but we got together and, um, and we're still together and we've got a son and everything's cool. Um, Galaxy 105 was the place I met my wife um, and it was a, it was a wonderful time. I I nearly ended up at uh, a few places and I do want to do a massive apology because I feel like I should. I have apologized to this person before, but I was given some really terrible advice when I was at Galaxy. I nearly ended up at Hallam a couple of times. I nearly ended up at Radio Air a couple of times, and I nearly ended up at Key a couple of times. The worst one was at Hallam. So at Galaxy 105, everything was incredible. You could do no wrong. You know, figures were just doing incredibly well, and everyone seemed like they wanted you, and it was really flattering. And Anthony Gay. Uh, came along uh, and offered me a job at Hallam and it was a brilliant job and it was a great opportunity because I really accepted the job um, and told some people about it over at Galaxy. They told me to turn my mobile off and uh, just forget about what happened and whatever you want, you can stay. And um, I wow. I stupidly um, took that advice when Anthony Gay was trying to get hold of me to sign contracts to go through to Hallam. So I really let myself down as a person by not, you know, communicating and saying, well actually no, I want to stay with Galaxy. I wasn't doing it to to kind of push people off against each other. It was just a situation that potentially that that happened at that that time. Yeah, I do, I do feel really shit about that. Um and causing a like unnecessary stress around a situation but um yeah sorry anthony if you're listening hopefully you'll talk to me again one day we're having a party
0: oh yeah uh, so so galaxy 105 you did the yep. network you did mids breakfast yep. cover um the ne- network dance <laughs> yep. shows and then the next one you so you move to london and you go you, you go to capital yep. uh, at the worst and time ever
1: uh, w- yep. was it yeah, absolutely. Why is that? Um, So I remember being in the car and phoning my mum. So my my dad died in 2001. Um, and, you know, he never really got to see the kind of fruits of, the, of, of my, or his labour of putting in the time and the work of when I was like kind of 15, 16, 17 years old. And, um, you know, I'd been so far away from home, from Portsmouth, all my career. It was a time that I just wanted to get nearer, near a home, and um, Keith Pringle, who was down at Capital, gave me the opportunity to come down to be the first presenter outside of the Capital group to be straight in on daytimes, I think within with, with, within 17 years or something like that, which was incredible. Um, so I was offered the afternoon show one till four on Capital in 2003. So I remember being in a lay-by Near my home in Castleford, and phoning my mum and saying, "Look, I'm coming home." And literally floods of tears. My dad died in 2001. You know, this was an opportunity of of going down and you know showing my mum what I could do again because she couldn't listen to the stuff I was doing up north, uh, and being and being there to take care of her. So uh, got this opportunity to go down to to capital. Don't forget, I am. It's a wrench to move away from Galaxy because Galaxy is so great. But I thought well everyone talks about how wonderful capital is and this is my big chance to make it big let's go so I went down there at a time where I don't think capital really knew what it was doing and I think Chris touched on this in the last crunch and roll there were many different things that were happening at capital at the time heart was coming online um, in London and that was doing incredibly well it was it was a good kind of first six months but confusing for me. It was Leicester Square, it was the big bright lights of London. It was living in a flat that cost me 1700 pounds a month um, back in 2003. So two it was a Jeez. two bedroom flat, it was bloody tiny. I mean it, it was just absolutely ridiculous. But it was a, you know, it was a wonderful salary, it was a wonderful opportunity, it was a wonderful job, so I had to take it. But it was just confusing. It was I didn't know really who I was on that station because it wasn't a dance music station um it was a you know it was a top 40 hit music station at that time and then it went through a couple of you know situations like the the takeover by gcap was the first one and the one where you know I was let go um so i had been down there for two years I was there when I turned up at the back end of Chris Tarrant coming off breakfast. It was incredible to meet these people. You know, Tarrant and Foxy, James Cannon was on before me. By the way, I was meant to take over James Cannon's show when he left GWR in Bristol when I was at TFM. I got that offer from uh, Dirk and Steve and and turned it down because I wanted to stay at TFM. And then GWR or GCAP then take over Capital and um, and I'm kind of let go in a pretty shitty way. Um, so that time at Capitol was a, a bit of a funny time. Met some wonderful people. Wonderful people in that building as well. Courtney, who's the security guard, um, who's at the, the, the front of, of Capitol, is just a, an institution. Royston, who's been there forever and incredible. Um, everyone that works behind the scenes within Capitol. Um, but it just didn't, I don't know, I, it just didn't fit with me completely over my time but did some wonderful things that I would have never got the opportunity to do, like bid against Rod Stewart in an auction, um, stupidly. Um, You've got to tell
0: us about that. Go got, on, Neil.
1: Well, it was Help a London Child. Lots of events for Help a London Child. And you, as a presenter, went down there to help out. And um, And there was this one particular one at Dover Street Restaurant and Jazz Bar. Neil Fox and I were hosting it. And there were these auction lots that came in. By the way, this was before my first paycheck. So I had no I had no money at all, right? I'd just come down from Leeds, moved everything down there. I literally had no money. But you kind of get caught up in this fact that you think you're potentially a celebrity because you're on capital. Yeah, this I was getting married well, in a couple of years, and I thought, Do you know what, this this auction lot that's coming through would be perfect for Saf's wedding dress, and it was like a Chanel dress or something, and it was, and oh yeah, and it was, uh, it was a, a prize, an auction prize that had, <laughs> sorry, I just remembered it, um, it had a picture with the cheeky girls, right, as as <laughs> a, as a part of this auction lot, right. I know it sounds a bit of a weird one, but. So I'm there doing this auction and Rod Stewart's betting. And I heard you, you know, when he did the Chris Brooks one talking about um, George Michael at the end, uh, out in the in the airlock. This was the crazy yeah. thing about Capital. You just met loads of these amazing people that were just around. So, you know, Rod Stewart's bidding and it's not going very far. So I'm like, ah, oh, fuck it. I might as well just give this a bit of a go. You know, I'm Neil Bentley, for Christ's sake. At Capital, Pfft. I've got loads of money. Well, none. Um, so I'm like, yeah up me next and foxy's looking at me going well you're bidding yeah neil bentley's in and i'm like shit so we so we then start bidding bid 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 he pulls out i'm left on my yeah yeah yeah. i'm left on my own thinking surely rod stewart's going to come back in now and no um so unfortunately i won this really really expensive auction lot um, at a help of London child uh, auction which I really shouldn't have done but you know that that was the thing you know it's it wasn't all bad at capital far from it but it was just a very odd time because it wasn't it wasn't the capital that it is now which is very focused and uh it knows exactly what it's doing and really big it was the capital that was kind of in the middle of the end of the chris Tarrant days and the the you know, before the global days kicked in. So it was difficult.
0: There are a couple of things I want to talk about. Um, And and just tell me to piss off, Neil, if you don't want to talk about them. But why why were you let go?
1: I don't know. Um, So I just interjected with the story that I turned down GWR Breakfast in Bristol. Um, I don't think it had anything to do with that at all. I don't know. I had... There were, so there were a couple of instances. Um, there was one where uh, I walked in because Chris again on his podcast said he got the one till four show in the afternoon. It was very nice, Chris. Not to mention that he stole it off me. We didn't steal it off me. He got the job. Um, I walked in one day after being out. I was weirdly I got I got this um, reputation for doing voice of gods at award shows. So myself, Alan Dedico. Uh, James Callan and a few others, when we finished our radio shows, we would end up being on Park Lane doing most of the award shows in London, like four or five times a week. And I was out doing one at Royal Hospital Gardens in Chelsea in the middle of the day. I got a copy of the, The Guardian. I opened up The Guardian. I found out I lost my job in The Guardian. So I was like, okay, this is kind of odd. So I walked into capital because I was summoned into capital to come in to to talk about it and as I walked around Chris is in one of the studios and he beckons me in so I'm like okay hi mate he goes man I'm really sorry I've just got one till four and I went no worries and I just walked out and walked into this Chuck. meeting. No, 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 no. And Chris and I are great mates. It 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 doesn't matter. It's you know it's one of those things. And I walked into this meeting where they said, "Look, you're you're going to be coming off a of one till four. We're going to put you on this, that, and the other." So that was the first kind of uh, demotion that I got. And then the second, I was just summoned to Steve Orchard's office, who you know had come in with GCap at the time. And uh, I went up there, and they just went. Well, that's it, Neil. And th- the hilarious thing about that is, I came down from that and I was asked to do some bank holiday cover. Literally, literally, straight from that meeting. And Neil said, like, okay, if you can cover this one and this one on bank holiday. And I went, fuck off. No way. No, no, no. Listen, listen. And I, walk- I walked out and I never went back into capital. Right? That, w- that was it. I was like, this is, I'm not having this. And um, I lost my house no yep this was 2006 I lost my house um it was the year I was getting married um so yeah it was absolutely fucking devastating for me absolutely devastating now the interesting thing with this is I I don't know why I was let go probably just it was just a situation of we are coming in. It's our train set. We're going to play with it. This is who we want here, there, and everywhere. And that's fine. You know, that's business. But I then get a phone call from a guy called Richard Park, who I've never met, though been in the same kind of station as when I was 17, 18 years old when they took over power. And that phone call was like, well, it wasn't, wasn't from him, it was from his PA. And she said, "Look, um, do you mind coming in to have a a word with Richard if that's okay?" And I'm like, "What?" And this was like, you know, not too long after I'd been let go from from Capital, and you know, maybe maybe a couple of weeks, maybe maybe a month. So Richard was over at Magic at the time, and I went over to see Richard, and um, his question was exactly the question that you've just asked me. What went on there then, Neil? And I was like, I've never met Richard before. And I said, I I don't know. I don't know. I just haven't got a job. And he was like, right, okay. He asked me to go and do uh, a demo in the Magic Studio. Um, And he also said, don't worry, Neil. Everything will be all right. And, you know, when you hear stories of Richard, you obviously hear those stories of you know red cards yellow cards all this sort of stuff um he's an incredibly passionate person to do with radio but he's also a pretty compassionate person at, th- at that particular time i was like you know i've never met this guy before and he's showing me some empathy on on a on a situation that's just happened to me because i was literally just dumped out after two years couldn't not long enough for me to make a name myself uh, for myself um you know, no house, don't know where to go, got to get married, you know, oh my god, you know, what do I do? So after Richard had contacted me, um, Saf was already doing some cover shows over at Heart. So she'd been on Capital Disney before that, while I was at Capital, and she had gone to do some cover shows at Heart. Um, London really didn't work out massively well for Saf, even though she was Uh, touted in the radio times as the next joe wiley to be coming down from from galaxy 105 106 down to to london and um i mean i can't believe this is i'm going to actually say this but when i was obviously dumped out of capital a month or so had gone by and they had pulled safin and they pulled and i don't know if you've Ever heard of this happen within the radio industry before to a married couple, newly married couple? But they basically sat Saf down and said, "Um, Saf, I'm just going to let you know that um, we haven't got any more work for you, but we're replacing you with your new husband.
0: Jesus Christ. Oh my and, God!
1: And uh, yeah, so that was a situation that we yeah had to deal with at that time, um, and had to take it because one of us had to work to be able to pay for the bills to be able to get you know where we're going. Oh my! Um, God. So you. Neil, that that's that story's on a par with Chris Brooks being in a cult. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. By the way, I, <laughs> he's By the way, I didn't even know that he was in a cult, um, and I've known him for a long time. Um, but yeah, that, so that was that was a, a situation that we had to deal with at the time that nobody else knew about. That you know, Saf got dumped out of of London Radio to be replaced by me. I mean, incredibly difficult uh, to handle. So I ended up going over to Hart and doing those cover shows first. And this was before Richard Park, before Global uh, had come into to that building. And um, we had some good ray jars for some cover stuff that I was doing. But I was told, unfortunately, Neil, there's no cover for you anymore, or there's no shows for you, so you're off as well. So... <laughs> So both of us have effectively gone. Um, but Richard had just turned up at heart at that point. And there was a RAJAR meeting. And um, he congratulated me on RAJAR results in the meeting that I wasn't at because I wasn't around. Wow. Um, so I had a very quick phone call after that RAJAR meeting going, where are you? I was like, well, I haven't, I haven't got any shows. I've been told that there's no more shows here okay, you probably need to come and talk to us very quickly. And from that moment on, you know, I guess that that was the the whole moment when uh, Richard was aligning with Ashley for for Global's takeover, everything, and pulling everything together and moving over to Capital. And I got the chance to walk back into Leicester Square, which I'd been dumped out of in 2006, which I never thought would ever happen ever again. Uh, to see the people, to see Courtney on reception, uh, on the security to see imran and everybody um uh, on reception to see royston to see all those people and they were just looking at me going welcome back and i was like hi i'm on a different floor now but (laughs) but i'm back um and i came in to do some some heart stuff and then i got drive time um when emma b left um and did drive time on heart for i think it was about five or six years um and that's kind of when it ended properly in 2012 but this was you know that that was just a mad time just a totally mad time and richard park was you know integral in me being back into radio again at such a high level without his input i wouldn't have been
0: is this going out or is it just in our headphones <laughs> it's <I'm, that's> fine <laughs> it was a technical problem you heard something on air. you shouldn't have done oh yeah you then do some work for the big city yeah. network for a year yeah um now you're no longer on the radio no how, how does that feel do because i mean you've you've achieved so much um you've been through a lot i think more so than a lot of presenters um, have yeah I
1: mean-, I mean it was funny because w- when i knew i was doing this with you saf and i have talked about it um and she went one don't look like a prick <laughs> i was like okay i'll try not to um <laughs> two don't sound bitter and i'm not um, there were just there were just there, there's some things I'm I'm not saying and people I haven't named and um, we were meant to record this a few weeks ago thank god we didn't um, because my head was in a completely different space so I've chilled out slightly about it I d- you know I don't want it to sound bitter at all my my career was was brilliant I had a fantastic time I got the, the opportunity to do many different things um, but there were just a couple of things through it that yeah only a couple of things that were were difficult to deal with so don't make it i don't want to make it sound like it you know i was massively hard done by or or you know this that happened and you know i'm not digging holes i was on the radio you know for god's sake and it was a brilliant opportunity to be creative and to be in an industry that i absolutely loved but uh yeah i I, you know I, i weirdly don't miss it
0: nothing about it
1: um i miss dance music a lot well i don't miss it because i still have it here you know in my studio here i've got decks over there one of the biggest regrets was selling my whole vinyl record collection because saf said i didn't have room for it no. yeah that's probably worse than me taking a show to be totally honest um and i had like twenty thousand vinyls, vinyl so they all went yeah so I, I don't really miss being on the radio i think i was very very lucky to have a career that i did have but being being in cl- I haven't been in a club for, Christ, I don't know, uh, 12 years, 15 years, I don't know.
0: I, I, I think we're too old. <laughs> yeah, now exactly.
1: we are <laughs> too old. Yeah, but
0: I, you know... I, I just, I, I wondered, what's your proudest achievement? Because, I mean, it's a hell of a, a CV, a hell of a career. What's your proudest achievement?
1: Um, Yeah, that's a difficult one. Uh, I think everything that Everything that I personally achieved at Galaxy, it was the only ever pl- ever, ever place that I got a RAJAR bonus. And it actually paid off. Normally, they would put them in, a, in such a way that there was no way that your RAJAR bonus would ever pay off. Unfortunately, it fucking did. And I got thousands. Um... <laughs> 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 um uh,
0: I'll t- I tell you what, I remember those clauses. Because <laughs> yeah. you, you, you'd be like, fuck, I've triggered the clause. Yeah, yeah. And then your boss would go, yeah, read the small print. Exactly. only people call Barbara. Yeah, and,
1: and, oh. and guess what, Foxy? I went, read the small print. I've achieved that too. Where's the cash? <laughs> um, yeah, no, no. I, being serious, Galaxy 105 was a real achievement. It was a, it was just a, a wonderful place to be. Horizon was, was wonderful as well. Uh, launching my own show club fresh on on galaxy was really important to me i I don't know i I think just having the ability to be in a career for 20 something years and to be able to see that out and to leave on my terms because noticed you didn't ask me why i left in 2012 why do you leave in 2012 um because i mean i was doing breakfast cover as well as drive on heart again i wasn't a breakfast show presenter and i was massively scared about certainly filling in the shoes of jamie theakston and being with emma bunton and whoever else was on breakfast at the time alicia dixon or gino de campo or whoever i had to do it with it was it was a time where i felt myself uh feeling like I was going in one direction or being led in one direction and wasn't actually going to be going in that direction and I was pretty sure that I wasn't going to be going in that direction um, and I was proved right that I wasn't going to be going in that direction so I decided to say enough's enough a couple of weeks ago you would have got the whole story on this but I actually made the decision myself to say do you know what I can't do this you know this is no more I don't want to be treated in the way that I was I felt like I was at that point anymore when I had a bit of a chat with Richard um, who was brilliant because at the same time my my son was diagnosed with autism Uh, so my son is 14 years old now but he was diagnosed with autism you know the age of two uh, non-verbal and um, that was pretty difficult for me as well so I I had a bit of a funny time on air, on heart around that time. I found it very difficult to to focus. Um, so it kind of felt a little overwhelming and also a little bit misled in places that I just said, do you know what? Actually I think this is probably it. Let's wrap this up. So I got the opportunity to to walk away from it and not be told that's it. You have no more radio in you anymore. See you later. So that felt really you know, uh, a proud moment, a difficult moment, really, really difficult. But yeah, that's that's what I did, and I, and I thought it would be easier. Well, I'm just going to go and run my own company. That'll be easy, won't it? Fuck you now. Nope.
0: Well, well, let's let's just finish on what you're doing now. So, tell because so, you, so you're you've got a digital creative agency, haven't you?
1: Um, yeah. I mean, everything that I learned within in radio, um, in the digital field, I was massively intrigued by everything as i went through my career um whether it be music production because we didn't touch on the fact that i produce a ministry of sound and other people um whether it be oh, i don't know a- any websites anything like that um internet i was just massively intrigued by that and and in the creative space i wanted to stay in there i was hugely hooked on video so would do um lots of video projects in the early days so i wanted to do something that uh allowed me to have some of those creative things that i'd learned over my years in in my new career so set up an agency called webvid that's w-e-b-v-i-d.com thank you very much um that's just a small agency where we at our peak had 10 members of staff um doing visual branding and um Podcasts and lots of other different bits and pieces, and then over the right-hand side, I have a company called Swipe, and that company we develop digital apps. Um, so we have a thing called CrowdScreen, which is a social media mechanism for wars, which F1 have used for many years. Um, we have something called Camflare, which is a um, a video recording. Mechanism so you can send out a link and get video from anyone back in anywhere in the world straight to your dropbox um we have something called crowd list for events we have uh yeah multiple different um applications that we made and um yeah, I have a really wonderful strong team that I absolutely adore Covid was incredibly difficult for us um but we stuck it out and we we kind of got through that and uh yeah it's um it's something that i'm hugely passionate about and will continue to push forward with um, forever more and I think it's really important by the way that if you're listening to this and you're in radio and at the moment you're you're going through a very difficult time maybe you're at the BBC um, and there's some you know interviews that are going on about your job or something and you're you're very upset about the whole situation just remember that you do have lots of transferable skills hell of a lot of transferable skills that you could use to go forward, to create something amazing. One thing I did find about the radio industry, John, was that there, when, you, when you were let go, or were, were, if you were sacked, or if you, know, you were moved, there wasn't this care and attention To be able to say to somebody, the stuff that you have, your communication skills, your digital skills, your editing skills could be easily transferred to something else. Don't worry. There's loads of other stuff out there. And I feel there's lots of people that um, could have benefited from someone being, you know, there to tell them that. So if you're listening to this at that, you know, that point in your life where you're thinking, oh, God, what do I do next? Just jot down the things that you're really good at, that you've done over the years that you've been in radio because all of those things you can push forward with yourself if anything does go wrong or you you take the decision to actually do that in your life. You've seen it with Hearstie. You know, Steph's got Believe Achieve. She does loads of keynotes out everywhere. Um, there's, there's lots of wonderful things that you can do. Don't feel alone and don't feel um, like you have no place. To be honest, if you're listening to this and, and you fancy a, a chat... Then you know my my phone line's always open.
0: Christ alive, Neil! I'm going to call you on the way home. I <laughs> will <laughs> tell you what, though, everything you just said there, uh, yeah, absolutely, and um, some some wise words. Can I just mm. say, I, I don't think you've sounded bitter at all. Um, I think Saffron will be fine with with Punch and Roll. Um, I think you've you've got an, in- an incredible career. Um, I, I always just remember you being the dance guy, the dance guru. Do you know what I mean? You, you were Mr. Dance and uh, I admire that. And um, thank you so much for being on Crunch and Roll.
1: I, it's been a real honour. I'm just, you know, excited to be on here and be able to, to talk about a couple of things, including Galaxy and, and Capital, that, um, that you find interesting. Hopefully somebody else will too. Thanks, John.
0: I, I know you've done voiceover work, <laughs> but as you well know by now um <laughs> you've done a lot of voiceover stuff so as always can you take us away with the end credits yeah, so
1: weirdly in voiceovers by the way john um i've become the infomercial uh, person so uh, all the shit infomercials that you hear on tv are normally me from cd collections all the way through to tables on legs um it's me so um shall i do this in the style of an infomercial or not Yes,
0: Oh, no, do you know what? Scrap that. I want Neil Bentley, Galaxy
1: 105. Oh, do you? (laughs) Okay. (sighs) You've been listening to Crunch and Roll with me, Neil Bentley. Subscribe on your favourite podcast app to get every new episode as soon as they drop. Crunch and Roll is a 969 Media production presented by John Foxy Fox and produced by Simon Borsowski. Oh, yeah.